You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Rimmel, the host of Locked On Heat. And we've got a great show for you today. We're going to get to the Ben Simmons injury news, and we're also going to touch on Kyrie Irving and a potential season-ending injury or a season-ending injury for him as well and how that's going to just affect things in the Eastern Conference. But we've got to start with uh, today's memorial in honor of Kobe Bryant and Gigi Bryant. Uh, David, I, I think that when... I think over the course of the last several weeks... There's been a lot of things coming out about Kobe, and people always have their Kobe stories, and it's clear how much of an impact that he had. We don't need to go through all of that, but to me, the takeaway from the memorial is just not only how well done it was, but how hard this this entire process has been for so many people who knew Kobe and were involved with Kobe, and and I think this sort of puts a, puts a, a nice kind of bow tie on the entire situation, though having said that, uh, it's clear that this... This is going to keep affecting people. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty clear. I, I think, you know, while we're trying to avoid going into how everybody felt a connection to him, I think it's been pretty evident from the moment of his passing, along with all the other passengers on the helicopter, including his daughter, Gigi. Uh, it was pretty obvious that Kobe was not your typical NBA player, uh, that his impact was very far reaching, that he was as influential a player as any in NBA history, uh, perhaps equal to Michael Jordan, which is funny mm-hmm, considering mm-hmm. that, you know, Kobe himself patterned so much of his game and off the court efforts uh, to what Michael did. But, you know, Kobe was such an impactful player and person off the court, a leader in business and industry and everything else. And, you know, from, from the moment of his death to all-star weekend to his memorial today, it's going to be a consistent theme, and I think it's just it's a matter of trying to make sure everybody is in touch with that aspect, the, the sense of loss, because I feel it's a realistic one. Like There is a, a hole in the NBA landscape that did not exist a month ago, and, and I think that's uh, something that a lot of players need to understand, and, and whatever avenues they take to be aware of that and to address it so that they can at some point start to, the process of moving on is important. And so uh, I, I think the memorial was very well done. It was uh, a nice effort to try and bring the NBA community. The, you know, there, it sounds so cliche, but, you know, you've talked to enough players where they always address the NBA brotherhood and, and the loss of somebody that's as big a brother as Kobe Bryant was is, is a huge one. And so I think for them to be able to, get together as a group to be able to mourn him together in a ceremony like that was a, a very important step in the, in the grieving and healing process. And this has been brought up before. It's not an original point, but the fact that Kobe is no longer with us, um, having passed away as young as he was, and you still see guys like Bill Russell is alive and handing out trophies. And uh, Michael Jordan is obviously doing it. Like all the greats, no, no matter how far, like most of them are still with us. And Kobe it does. It was not quite clearly in that arena where at Staples, where every like Bill Russell was there. Michael Jordan had a great speech. I thought uh, did a phenomenal job talking about how Kobe was sort of his little his little brother, and and he was quite honest about it. it was he was irritated by him at first, and uh, and after a while grew to appreciate him, and after a while he felt like Kobe Bryant made him a great big brother, and and kind of 
brought this other thing out of him, which is, uh, I thought, very poignant. Was was a great point because that seems to be what Kobe does in one way or another. He brings the best out of people, um, you know, in one shape or form. And so, you know, having everybody at that arena at the same time honoring Kobe Bryant, it just it, it reinforced that idea that he's not he's no longer with us. And I do want to take a moment to talk about Vanessa Bryant's speech because boy was that had to be hard I I can't even imagine uh having to do that the way she did and she she had a long speech and she read right from her script and and she was very strong and and stable when she was up there I thought she did a tremendous job and at the end she started talking about how her and Kobe are still like this great team and that Kobe will be raising Gigi uh while she'll be raising the other their their other daughters and that really that really got me man that really got me yeah i i uh as a father i i can't i could not watch that part of it and uh it's just it's difficult to think about any kind of parent having to move on from that and so it's for her to be able to stand there and to to be able to address it publicly I think for the very first time, right? I mean, we've, we've gotten mm-hmm. a statement from her before and I'm sure she's connected with some friends and family and other connections like that. But for her to be able to stand in that room of so many of Kobe's peers and to be able to open up like that, that was, uh, a, a, I couldn't imagine what that stress would be like. And, and for her to handle it as gracefully as she did, I think is a, a incredible testament to her and her character. And that Warriors practice today um, to kind of shift topics, but not really. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for this, but there was only six guys at at the practice this morning, and uh, because Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green were at the memorial, and there, you looked around that arena, and there's a lot of players currently still playing who made the trip out there. And I do, again, I, I feel like the way that this Kobe thing has completely uh, shifted the emotional mood of the NBA and has shifted priorities of the NBA. I mean, these players have games to play and practices to participate in and things to prepare for. And yeah, granted, the Warriors aren't really playing for anything and Steph and Clay are not playing currently, but they're both like Steph is ramping up to make his, uh, to come back from his, uh, his, his injury. And Draymond Green is involved, obviously still. And for them to all just kind of put everything on hold and do uh, what they it thought was right by going down to Staples Center and being a part of it. It it did the like, practice today up here in San Francisco had a very sleepy kind of weird, uh, surreal feeling to it uh, covering the game. So it just it does feel like today was meant for Kobe Bryant. And that's why I wanted to take some time uh, to to open up the show talking about Kobe and and the memorial there. But coming up next, we will talk about some of the the news happening around the league, specifically in the Eastern Conference. Ben Simmons. Uh, going uh, treatment on undergoing treatment on his back, Kyrie Irving, after having shoulder surgery, was ruled out for the entire season. We're going to talk about how that's going to impact the Eastern Conference. According to ESPN, Ben Simmons will be working with doctors to evaluate uh, what is a lower back injury, his injured back, and uh, he's going to be sidelined for an undetermined period of time, according to uh, Woj's report. Uh, David, I, I I think that this has obviously been an up and down season for the Sixers. They're five and five in their last ten. They're they're down to fifth in the Eastern Conference. Doesn't really look like they're going to get out of that place now without Ben Simmons. But on the flip side of that, 
you know, this is we. There has been a period of time that the Sixers have been without Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons looked great. It's been over the years, vice versa, and now we're going to get more of that again with Ben Simmons now sidelined for an undetermined amount of time, which doesn't sound like it's going to be a couple of games, right? Uh, we're going to see a lot more of Joel Embiid and crew with the Sixers, and we're going to get another look at uh, what that looks like. And I'm sure the talking points for the next couple of weeks are going to be should the Sixers actually move Ben Simmons and just go all in on Joel Embiid if they're able to actually play better than they have been. Well, I mean, that was the talk when Joel Embiid went down too, right? When Ben Simmons exactly. was playing at a, a all-NBA level, all of a sudden everybody was like, well, let's trade Joel Embiid, et cetera. And it's just, it, it's that's the part of the, the this injury, which, you know, seems to be a continuation of a season-long theme is everybody finding something wrong with the Philadelphia 76ers. And look, let's be honest, the Sixers haven't done much to disprove all that negativity around their team. They've been a disjointed mess. It's been, whereas the the addition of Al Horford seemed like finally the move that was going to take the Sixers over the hump to be able to limit Yanni Antetokounmpo and everything else, that now seems like a disastrous move. Even Sixers fans turning wildly on a, an all-star level player like Horford, who has obviously struggled in Philadelphia, but it's just it's been so... I, I mean, even up and down doesn't seem like it describes it. And, and yeah, look, let, let's be honest. They're still fifth best in the Eastern Conference currently, despite all the injuries and every, all the inconsistency and, and struggling to try and incorporate all these players. They still have a pretty good record, mostly because of how well they perform at home as opposed to their disastrous record on the road. But as far as the Ben Simmons injury, first and foremost, you hope that this isn't the, the start of any kind of lingering issue with him because he obviously is a very good player and you don't back issues are very, very tricky. You see all time greats like, you know, Tracy McGrady limited throughout the rest of his career because of back issues. And you hope that that's never going to be the, the, the case. And, with this any is, player. and this is not the medical staff that I trust with any sort of thing. Uh, that's a good point. That is a very good spotty, point. Yeah. I, th- this is worrisome if you're a Sixers fan that, you know, they haven't done a good job with this stuff in the past. And hopefully Ben Simmons has got some things going on that, that are helpful. And maybe it's not as bad as it sounds. Because um, he's working, according to Wojnarowski, with his own management team, uh, plus the doctors. So, well, yeah, for most teams, I would say, no, just trust your team doctors. Like, this is, you don't want a Kawhi Leonard situation where he's getting some different advice. But with the Sixers, it's like, yeah, don't listen to anything they say. Like, they, they seem to not know what they're talking about. But uh, look, I, I, you mentioned Al Horford there. That's a big part of this, too, because he's been just bad, man. Like, and they're not able to pair him with Joel Embiid. Like, they're... Their offensive rating when they're on the floor together, when Horford and Embiid are on the floor together, is was one hundred. That that's bad. That's that's one of the worst offensive ratings in the league. If you were to sort of extrapolate that, you know, for a, a forty-eight game uh, or a forty-eight minute game, and uh, they they've recently moved Horford to the bench, and they're starting Glenn Robinson the third, who they just acquired at the trade deadline in his place, and. Uh, if depending on how long Ben Simmons is out, like this could go, like we're the playoffs are right around the corner. Like this could go into the playoffs, and like Philadelphia, it realistically, like right now they're the five seed. They could lose in the first round without Ben Simmons because a lot of these other pieces aren't really working. And if you're just relying on Joel Embiid and you're not able to get even close to the sort of production you were hoping to get um, from Al Horford when he signed him to a twenty-eight million dollar season contract, you've got Joel Embiid playing thirty plus minutes in a playoff game what are you getting from what are you gonna get 18 minutes 15 minutes from Al Horford while paying him 28 mil like that's not ideal and and I don't know who else 
steps up for them. Josh Richardson has had his share of injury problems too. And you look out on the perimeter and there's just like, there's a lot of specialists, Matisse Teibel, Korkmaz, guys like that, but nobody that's an all around uh, player to the level that they're going to need. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and you find it interesting that in the buyout market, a lot of players never looked at, I mean, they looked at a a team like Minnesota Milwaukee that was already very, very, very good. And they decided to join them or the, the LA teams, obviously. I mean, one is obviously Los Angeles is a big draw regardless, but as they're legitimate, they're seen as the legitimate title contenders in the East and West respectively, I guess nobody sees Philadelphia in that regard anymore. So there's, you would think that maybe a buyout player sees a great opportunity to help a team that could be, and this was before Ben Simmons injury. I mean, where they could see this team as being a, a realistic title contender and you join a group that's pretty well established, et cetera. And nobody even looks to Philadelphia as, as a, a possibility. That's that was pretty interesting to me, anyway. Um, I, I don't know what the solution is, and, and, and you know, I've been pretty consistent in saying, well, I think the Philadelphia 76ers will figure it out. I think they'll they'll eventually congeal. They'll eventually incorporate all the players in the right way. But you know, you're right in that everybody struggled. Tobias Harris has struggled. Richardson struggled with injuries. I think he's exceeded his on-court performance for the most part, but uh, and off the court too. I, it seems like he's been the most one of the strongest voices in the locker room, which is kind of a disparity from where he was in Miami. But, I mean, that just shows that there was a a glaring need for that sort of thing Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Uh, And I don't know that there's a solution there. I think think the solution... Yeah, I mean, everybody's using the terminology, a season of disappointment, and I think it's pretty evident regardless. At this point, I don't see that they're going to be able to advance deep in the playoffs. And so it's just a matter of what you do to move on from this point forward. And and look, we're we're still gonna we're trying to find out what this really is all about with Ben Simmons, but it might be worth because this season has been sort of disappointing. It could be worth shutting him down, but if it, like good luck telling Brett Brown that who's coaching for his job. Um, I, I don't know if you're the Sixers what you do, but I guess in the meantime, I the only way to do the only way to go is to surround Joel Embiid with shooting and sort of. Uh, just sort of cut your losses with Al Horford and even Ben Simmons to an extent. And just, I think you've got to put as many shooters out there around and beat as possible and just try to do, you know, Dwight Howard, Orlando Magic, Stan Van Gundy era, Orlando Magic type of stuff. I mean, put Richardson and Korkmaz and, and you know, maybe Tobias Harris is hitting threes at a consistent rate. Um, if you just put those guys around Embiid, uh, that's probably your best opportunity Give and, and give Joel Embiid that space, and just hope that he can sort of resuscitate the, the the post game, and and just hammer teams in the paint. And I, I that's probably your only real route right now. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're going to just roll over. They're going to try and figure it out with whatever roster they have currently assembled. And and I mean, obviously, even with Horford still coming off the bench, they'll they'll, they'll find a way to to survive, if not necessarily thrive. But it's whatever they. What are they playing for? I mean, we don't have a full mm. diagnosis on Ben Simmons mm. yet, and that, I think that's the issue here. Are they trying to test? Is it is it a legitimate test to see whether or not Joel Embiid is a kind of foundational player that you can build around and then eventually move on from Ben Simmons? Is it too far to, to look that route yet, or is this is this what Sixers management is using this as an opportunity to? Because I think I think Sixers fans are ready to. And not necessarily blow it up. They're ready for some wide sweeping changes that they weren't at the start of the year, obviously, because they, they had much higher hopes and those haven't exactly panned out. And so I think they're they're ready for the first time in some in some time to be able to move on from this current iteration of the team. And that will probably include Brett Brown. 
Um, it, it he was already on the coaching hot seat. If this team loses in the first round, uh, I, I don't think there's any excuse you can make. I look, I think that Elton Brand is maybe first and foremost to blame at this. I, I, it just seems like at every turn he's made the wrong move. I mean, the Al Horford thing just isn't working. Boston was, you know, more than ready to walk away from that sort of salary demand from Al Horford, and uh, we remember the way that they got him was sort of a surprise because nobody really thought anybody was going to offer that kind of money for Al Horford, and here comes, swooped in. The Sixers and Elton Brand giving him twenty eight mil a year. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of these other moves were okay. Like I, I guess like the Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson trade was okay if it all it cost you was a couple of second round pick or three second round picks, but um you know, Matisse Teibel was a nice draft pick, sure. I don't really know how much better you could have done if your core was Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if that's your starting point. Uh but you know, JJ Reddick's playing pretty well for New Orleans, so let him go. I don't know that these these moves have panned out, and Brett Brown, to his uh, to his blame, hasn't really made the pieces fit. Doesn't sound like these guys know what they're supposed to be doing. It would be one thing if the pieces didn't fit, but they at least knew what they were supposed to be doing. And it just doesn't sound like anybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And they're relying on Josh Richardson in crunch time a lot now, which is why the he traded him for Jimmy Butler in the first place is because he's not that type of player. Uh, so if if they are first round and out team now. I think we see a lot of changes. I mean, there are. I mean, this Ben Simmons thing is more than just his back. There are, and more than just long-term effects for him. There are long-term effects potentially for the organization. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's just there's no right way to build a team, and unfortunately, it just hasn't panned out for Philadelphia. I mean, you you think that the acquisition of top-tier talent via the draft is going to be as close to a surefire way to building a contender as possible? But even once you do acquire that talent, you'll never. You can never expect what happens as far as injury is concerned. You can never understand how these players might or might not fit together. You can project as well as possible, and still there's no way of guaranteeing that uh, there's success. Even from your own team in Golden State, if you acquire the best shooters in the world and Steph Curry, you hope that he stays healthy and you know he undergoes these kind of lingering ankle issues over the course of his early in, or in his career. You get Clay Thompson, and then that team is not – particularly good until they get Draymond Green and he becomes a, an all NBA type player. So it's just, it's, it's weird to see this team with Philadelphia with as much talent as they have, like all all-star level talent and beat and Simmons and Horford, and even a, a guy who right on the cusp like Harris or Richardson. And it's still not enough to become a, a, a good five man unit that wins at a high level. Yeah. I mean, you look at that roster and you're like, and I picked them to go to the finals. I was like, how I, I, at the end of the day, I know the fit isn't great, but look, they have just too many good players for it not to work, and uh, it just really isn't working. But let's move on to another team in the Eastern Conference, the Brooklyn Nets. They're at 26-29 and 29 at the time of us recording this. Seventh place in the Eastern Conference. Look, this was already sort of considered a gap year for Brooklyn, considering that they're, they're still waiting on Kevin Durant to come back from his Achilles injury. But with Kyrie Irving having been as injured as he has been and now out for the season after undergoing shoulder surgery, look, I, I, I understand after it being such a disappointing year to just shut him down, it's not worth it. But it reinforces to me that they're going to need a lot from not only Kyrie Irving, but Kevin Durant as far as getting both of those guys healthy because to, to really achieve what it is that they are seeking out to do, which is to win a championship. I don't, at this point look at the Brooklyn Nets as a realistic contender even next year because I just don't trust them. I don't trust Durant to work, to be what he was before the injury, at least not right away. And then with, with Kyrie Irving, like I don't trust him to play more than 60 games in a season anymore. 
and it's Kevin Durant plus a, plus like a night uh, a bunch of like fine players. Is that enough to get you out of the out of the East right now? I don't think it is. So uh, I've got real concerns about the Brooklyn Nets after watching them for sixty plus games. Oh yeah, I mean, and and we're hearing reports that what Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen uh, and uh, Karis Levert are all in the training block and will be available this summer. I mean, it sounds like they're and Kyrie Irving out. said that they needed to make changes in January. Yeah, I, I mean. I think, again, I mean, kind of reiterating what I just said about the Sixers, there's no way of building a contender. You get all-level talent in, in, in Irving and Durant, and you hope that it works out, but then their personalities are so difficult. I mean, we're seeing how much better Boston is with the the attraction by subtraction uh, of, of Kyrie Irving. I mean, the addition by subtraction, sorry, of, of Kyrie Irving and the way that they play so much better and cohesively and everything else. And, and we're starting to see seeds of that being planted in Brooklyn after just a few months and where he hasn't even been available for most of the time. And this is just, it's just terrible to see like a player not being able to, to find a place there. And, and you hear rumblings about things off the court regarding Kyrie Irving, which I think are a little bit of a concern too. And um, you know, obviously you can't speak on that because there's no, no trusted sources here, but it seems like people are really genuinely concerned about his behavior off the court, whether or not that might be impacting his teammates and things of that sort. And uh, you make a, you make a bold move to try and build around KD and Irving, and it might not pay off. And, and you know, to your point earlier, Durant might not be at 100%. So wh- what are you getting out of these two players next year? I mean, if you're going to get a lesser version of Kevin Durant and a version of Kyrie Irving that might be in and out of the lineup, this is not a contending team by any stretch of the imagination, especially if you're trading away what seems right now to be the very best players, the very best young players that you have in that roster. I mean, if you're going to trade away Jared Allen, just because you have DeAndre Jordan already on the roster. That just, I don't know what you're planning on getting. That's because bad management. You, <laughs> that is not good decision-making. I mean, you've committed <laughs> now to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, these tempestuous personalities that demand so much on and off the court. And it's just, now you, all of a sudden your 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 franchise is handicapped by these players. Ben Golliver, who used to be a friend of our program, but now is more of a friend of David Locke's show on Thursday, Um actually had a really interesting uh, piece in in his uh, email newsletter for the Washington Post talking about this idea of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and and mentioned that, you know, in the past, Kyrie Irving has always been this, right? This is not new for Kyrie Irving. He's always been kind of third rail. He's always been injured all the time. Um, But, you know, in Cleveland, it worked out because LeBron James was there and was able to cover up for those games. I don't think that Kevin Durant is going to be able to do that coming off of this Achilles tear. Now, maybe Kevin Durant p- prior to that could have done it, but I don't think we've ever really seen that level of Kevin Durant in the first place either, uh, at least as far as getting you to, like, winning a championship into the NBA Finals. He can obviously get a team to a bunch of wins in the regular season, but... I mean, uh, yeah, he played with Russell Westbrook when Westbrook went through his injuries, and, and you know, right. certainly Durant had some some nice stretches. I mean, he is one of the best players of all time. I just, I don't know that he is the kind of singular force that can carry a team out of the Eastern conference, especially if Irving's in and out of the lineup, because that creates all sorts of inconsistency there. You're not sure what your role is from one game to the next. I mean, that's going to be a lingering concern for sure. I mean, that was the issue in Boston with Kyrie too, where, you know, he'd be in and out of the lineup when he was in there. Okay. It's Kyrie Irving, go isolation, high pick and roll over and over and over again. And then when he's out, you've got that egalitarian offense under Brad Stevens and it just sort of functioned better. And I think you're just always going to see that with whatever team Kyrie Irving is on. And it'll be interesting, like, three years from now to – look, I, the Brooklyn Nets had to do what they had to do, I guess. When you, when you really kind of – when push comes to shove, you've got an opportunity to go get Kevin Durant. I think you 
you probably just have to do it, even with the Achilles tear and everything, considering where Brooklyn was. Like, yeah, like they made the playoffs last year, but I don't think that they were really sold on D'Angelo Russell as bringing them up, you know, where they needed to go as their superstar. Uh, Karis LeVert and, and Joe Harris, like those are all like nice stories, but none of those guys are becoming superstars for you. So whether you can go get somebody like Kevin Durant at his level, uh, or even somebody slightly below his level, if and you know, however he looks when he comes back from the Achilles, I think you just have to do it. You just have to go get your superstar. So I don't think just running, like just sort of uh, rolling out what they had last year was really an option for them. But they are really hitching their wagons to this thing working, like to this specific partnership of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And we know Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn because he was able to bring Kyrie Irving with him. So it was, I don't think that it was just one of them. You had to get both of them. It was a package deal. And I don't, uh, there were reported concerns over not necessarily Kevin Durant, but Kyrie Irving. Like Brooklyn, Brooklyn wasn't sold on Kyrie's personality. They were wor- worried about what happened just a year before in Boston. And, but you, I guess you got to do it. And it'll be interesting three years from now, four years from now, to see where, ever, how all of this kind of works out. Because again, I, if you asked me right now, David, honestly, if I thought, if I think that they ever even reached the NBA Finals, I would say no. I don't even think they get that far at this point. And if that's the case, then you've really, and if they end up trading some of these young pieces that could build toward the future, like I don't know if it was worth it. No, I'd have to agree with you. I, I, I think uh, you know you, you want to take the patient approach and want to see whether or not it does pan out. But the reality is that it does not look good. If you're projecting ahead, building around these two personalities with their their lingering injury concerns and the fact that again you might be moving. What is very necessary to complement them, the young, talented players that they currently have and they've been relying on all season to get them to this point. I mean, if you're moving them, who knows what you'll get in exchange, too. Like, I mean, yeah, theoretically, you could package them for a third star, but that's no guarantee of success either. I mean, you can't just add a third player and hope, oh, they're going to be a perfect complement. They're going to fit in perfectly. Who is that third player? Maybe that's the bigger question is who is the guy to play alongside Durant and 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 Irving next year? that can be a guy to help him. Is it Bradley Beal? I mean, if, are you moving? That would be probably, that would be the move for them is Bradley Beal. But like I, what we just learned from Toronto, if you're dealing with a guy who's only going to play 60 games in a year, would you rather have that third star who, if he goes down, you've got no depth? Or would you rather just have a bunch of depth? Would you rather just have all these Spencer Dinwiddie who has been playing really well for them, has, or has been their best player this season? Uh, would you rather have him and Karis LeVert and all these, and Jared Allen? Would you rather just have all this depth? It's a, it's a real question uh, when you have guys who you can't trust to play 70-plus games in a year. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's They're going to be one of the biggest questions of the offseason for sure. Then I mean, I, I don't I don't think anybody really cares whether or not they make the playoffs this year or not. Uh, they're a decent team. They're not going to make any kind of realistic noise, uh, even in a weaker Eastern Conference. They're just fighting for the right to get swept by the Bucks at this point. So uh, I, don't, I don't see why... It, I mean, at this point, I'd shut it down and kind of just see what you have, what are the players you you already have on the roster, and hope for the best, and, and see whether or not you can increase their stock uh, so that maybe you can acquire that third superstar. Because I, I, I mean, maybe you can get another ancillary player. Like, I mean, what was the key for Toronto last year was acquiring not just Kawhi Leonard but also Danny Green. Maybe you can hope you get another player like that uh, from from Washington if you do trade for Beal or something like that. You can get another mm-hmm. player out of it that can help supplement some of that depth that you're surely going to need over the course of the playoffs. Let's uh, end the show with this uh, quickly. I mean, how many cores would you rather have from the Eastern Conference over Brooklyn? I think you would take Milwaukee, obviously, all things with, considered with Giannis. I think you still take that. 
uh, Boston quite clearly. Uh, but after that, I mean, are you taking Toronto? Are you taking Miami? Would you rather have those teams con- as as currently constructed and, and given their long term outlook over a team like Brooklyn? Are we at that point? That's that's a little tougher, right? Because I mean, if they reach their peak, if if and that's the big if. That's the gamble that you take if you're Sean Marks. That's why you acquire guys like Irving and Durant. I mean, obviously, Durant is one of the top 10, 15 players in NBA history. I, I think if he can get you to that point, if he can re- return to full health, I mean, you, you take a chance regardless, you know, and you hope for the very best that you, whoever you surround him with will be enough to, to get out of the East. Um, you're right in that Milwaukee and Boston stand out above them as far as Miami or Toronto. I mean, Siakam, OG Anunoby, Kyle Lowry. I mean, you know, Lowry's getting older, obviously, but I mean, he's he's been more durable than Irving up to this point, even at his age. So, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know that I would take to I, 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 I would probably still take Brooklyn over Toronto because this Toronto thing, I know they're 42 and 15 right now. I know they're nine and one in their last 10 games and they look really good. And they've got nice players, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Pascal Siakam, all these things. But I still would probably take Brooklyn just because of the potential of Kevin Durant getting back to what he was. And I just don't know that Toronto right now has a road to that type of player. But with my aunt, I, I would, and maybe this is just me being a homer, I'd probably still take the Heat just because of the emergence of Bam Adebayo and all these young pieces they have and Jimmy Butler being, you know, a darn good player. So I I would probably take Miami uh, at this point, honestly, over Brooklyn. And I and part of that's probably, too, because I trust Miami's management more than I trust Brooklyn's. And it's not like Brooklyn hasn't done a good job. I just trust Miami's that much. Um, all right. Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked on NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. For David Lemel, I'm Wes Goldberg. Thanks for listening.